You know that saying, sorry, not sorry? Oh, like when you're being sarcastic? Like a sibling sort of thing? Like, oh, sorry, but not sorry? I think it's like, like I should be sorry for this, but I'm not. So, you know, people write something nasty and then say, sorry, not sorry at the end. Sort of like the, I don't mean to offend you, but... But here's the way I'm going to offend you? Yes. Yeah. That sort of... Yeah, I guess so. Sorry, I'm not as familiar with the... Sorry, I'm not sorry. It's it's not sorry, I'm not sorry. It's just sorry, not sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. That's that's more formal. Oh, okay. Just sorry, not sorry. Well, I feel like I owe you a sorry, not sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because when we... I don't mean to defend you, but... <laughs> no, it's not offending, but I have to admit how I feel about doing these podcast episodes with you. When we... When we talk, I know sometimes we talk about things that you're just so uncomfortable and it's miserable, but your willingness to express your true feelings and be open and vulnerable and honest, even when you hate it, is really like, it's really good and it's really impactful. And so, you know, I I feel bad for... <laughs> I feel so bad. For, sorry, I'm making you do this. I know. I'm not sorry like, for the outcome. Yeah, because like as your it. husband, as the person who loves you more than anything in the world, I should feel terrible for putting you through this. But the pain. And but the then, anguish. but then I'm like, oh, but this is good. So then I'm not sorry. So so it's so like Sherry? when you force your kid to clean their plate of vegetables. Yeah, kind of. Because it's like it's good and helpful, and in the long run, it will. Yeah. I mean, be a good thing. this is more like devastating emotional trauma <laughs> and you're talking about vegetables, but... <laughs> trying to back off from a devastational drama. But yeah, so sorry, not sorry for for doing the podcast with you. So thanks for being here, Sherry Salis. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Glad, not glad. <laughs> glad, not glad. Um, Overriding with sarcasm. So speaking of sorry, not sorry... We, today is a big day for us. We have launched something new that I am, again, sorry, not sorry about. This is getting you further and further involved in my life's mission to destigmatize alcoholism and help people share their stories and help people heal from the trauma of alcoholism. And so today we launched our Echoes of Recovery program. Da, 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 da. That's, I, I don't have any like theme music, so that's about it. So, and this one, as you know, Sherry, you occasionally get involved in my writing and you have access to the shout sobriety stuff that we do for alcoholics in early recovery. And you get involved there occasionally, but this one... This one is going to be more than a little bit of a casual involvement. Echoes of Recovery is for the loved ones of alcoholics who need to recover from alcoholism themselves. And that's kind of your wheelhouse. So, like I said, sorry not sorry, but here we go. Yeah. How do you feel about it so far? Um, I feel good about it. I think. I think that we've tried to... 
express that the alcoholic and the loved one of an alcoholic, they need to recover at different paces. Um, and I think that just helps kind of those people that are on the other side, um, whether they're living with an alcoholic or, you know, it's a other family member outside of the house and whether they're in recovery or they're still drinking, I think it's just really good that people are in this together and know they're not alone. And even though their situation might be a little bit different, there's still a lot of the same feelings and emotions and questions that are there. So I think it'll be a nice community of, of sharing and support from the other side of the story. Yeah, I I think, you said two really important things about this program right there. You know, you talked about sharing and support and knowing that they're not alone. The reason we chose the name Echoes of Recovery is because even though the details of the different, the many, many different stories you and I have heard at this point about alcoholism and recovery and, and the, things that the loved ones have to go through, even though sometimes the details are different, the the underlying emotions, the trauma, the, the pain that has to be endured, the rebuilding process, the resentment, the lack of trust, all of that's the same in pretty much every case. Mm-hmm. And so echoes of recovery made sense because your story is going to echo the sentiment of my story, of the next person's story, of this person over here. And it and so that that's that's the whole purpose. If you what you share, you're going to get into this out of this program. Pardon me, what you put into it, whatever you're willing to share, you're going to feel comfort and um, empathy back because the people you're sharing it with are people that have been through the same thing. And likewise, they're going to share their story, and you're going to learn from it and feel comfort because you're going to realize you're not alone. So that's that's why we chose the name. The other really important thing that you, you said, you kind of talked about how we want to welcome people that are in different relationships with the alcoholic. Our story is far from unique, Sherry, in that I, I drank, you were my wife, you had to endure the pain, we are going through recovery, I'm sober for three years now, we're working on ourselves and we're working on the relationship. There's literally millions of people in that same situation. But we don't want to segment Echoes of Recovery into only that one little groove. We want to welcome people. First of all, if you talk about romantic relationships, if you talk about marriages, we want people in this group that their marriage has not survived the process. And either during the active alcoholism portion or even in recovery, they've they've split and the relationship didn't make it. We want those people's stories involved too because those people deserve to recover those people deserve to work past the resentment just just ending the relationship doesn't fix anything any more than sobriety fixes anything for the drinker if you walk away from a bad situation you've still got to heal from it and turning your back on it is it, it just isn't enough and you know we, we've we've learned that not only to some extent from personal experience but from all the people that we've we've worked with and learned from. So we want those people involved. If it didn't work out, we also want people that are stuck in alcoholic relationships and the drinker that they love is still drinking. That doesn't mean that those people 
those loved ones can't be working on their own recovery and learning how to cope and manage and find healing. And through the shared stories of the Echoes of Recovery program, um, there's absolutely 100% a place for those people. And because you and I have so much experience with my alcoholism, hopefully we can help those people you know, find some peace and serenity and, and find a way to love themselves even when they're in the midst of a really bad situation. But even beyond that, we want the parents of alcoholics and the children of alcoholics, the adult children of alcoholics, and the cousins and the brothers and the sisters and the aunts and uncles, anyone who is in a important, and, and friends too, anyone who's in an important, close, loving relationship with an alcoholic, whether that alcoholic is in sobriety or still actively drinking, um, those loved ones deserve to heal. And, and that's what the Echoes of Recovery program is all about. So in a time of, in a political culture of trying to be all-inclusive in every way we can, we sure are fitting right in. We're welcoming everybody except for the uh, the drinkers themselves. And for those people, we have the Shout Sobriety program. So mm-hmm. there is a different option there. Yep. So yeah, definitely, definitely want to uh, encourage anyone who, who fits any of those categories. Anyone who loves an alcoholic in any way, uh, we 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 want you and we need you because we we one of the important things about the echoes of recovery program for people to understand is this has been years in the making we've heard from lots of our listeners and lots of our readers that um there's a void in this part of the recovery space you know 10 years ago there was a void in this part of part of the recovery space for the drinkers too. There was AA and 30-day inpatient rehab, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And in the last 10 years, a lot of things have popped up. Our Shout Sobriety program for people in early recovery is just one of many, frankly, uh, largely online programs. At least at least that's where they start. Um, they get connection through through group forums and direct interaction with the person that's running the program, things like that. Um, But so that space has started to not fill up, not to the point where, um, you know, there's just an excessive number of options for people who need to recover from alcoholism. But the other side of the spectrum, for the loved ones, there's still, as far as I know, there's just Al-Anon. No one is, you know, I guess... Private counseling. Yeah, and I guess, you know... That's about it that I'm aware of. There are a couple of other, you know, 12-step things like Celebrate Recovery, um, which is a religious-based thing. So there there are other, a few other things, but it's not, but, but there's still a huge void. And there's especially a void in something that's just really focusing on connection. And that's what we want to do. We want to give people the opportunity to tell their story, hear other people's stories, share best practices, share good ideas, and share the pain. Because, you know, we've been through a lot, but we don't have all the answers. And so Echoes of Recovery is in large part for us too, because we've still got healing to do, and we need the help of others. And what you and I have found, we've read tons of articles written by psychologists. We have lots of therapists that we're friends with that we've asked for advice from. And I'm not trying to poo-poo people who, you know, 
get training and and are professional psychiatrists and psychologists that that is a valuable valuable resource and it has its place but what what you and I thrive on is peer support and hearing from others that are in similar situations and learning from them and you don't get that when you sit in a psychologist's chair especially if the psychologist hasn't experienced addiction firsthand if they've learned about it they might be able to help you but it's not as tremendously helpful to you and I as learning from people who have been there and so what this that's what this is about you and I are moderating and we've got a lot to share a lot to add but we don't have all the answers we are looking to learn from the other participants of this group just like they're looking to learn from us so um, we're really excited about this program. Are you excited, Sherry? It's getting you more involved. It's sorry, not sorry, but are you excited? <laughs> yeah, I am. I, um, I know that you said that this program has been now years in the making. And I just, when you said that, it just made me think back to when you wrote, um, a coming out letter to anybody that you had an email address for talking about coming out alcoholic Right. And that went to people that you had coached their kids in soccer. And it went out and I got a text message from my friend. Like, we had been good friends. Uh-huh. And, like, she said, let's go and have coffee. And I was like, sure, great. And she, you know, revealed to me that she had been living in this relationship of secrecy of her husband being an alcoholic. And I think it just like solidified our friendship to such a higher place mm-hmm. and because there has always been that those years of don't talk about it you know don't let your friends know what's going inside so that everybody was kind of held at a distance so i felt like i had one person i could totally confide in and she understood yeah. and um so i just think that that having a support system in place just is so beneficial to your, you know, your self-worth in a way. Like, you need to know you're not alone and that you have people that support you and understand where you're coming from and, you know, just making sure that you are loved and taken care of and not just the person that's drinking or in recovery because sometimes that gets sidestepped and people are worried about the reaction and, and... like the beginning part of an alcoholic's recovery is is still very selfish in a way because they have to be very guarded and think only of themselves to survive. So again, you're you're put in this position that you're still not um, their top priority. Their top priority was either alcohol, and then it becomes sobriety. And so there's just and there's just because such the a, drinker has to be so focused on fighting these temptations and learning and getting involved in a program and fixing the disease, they still don't have time for you. Right. (laughs) And then, and then they, you know, and then the non-drinker kind of feels like, because it's such different, um, ways of going about it. Like you kind of feel like you're separated. And I think that you do need to do recovery for each of yourselves and understand that it's at a different pace, but you need to be supported and, and nurtured during this time too. And I know I'm still going through, um, 
the process of recovery and you know it's unpacking things that I carried into the relationship with my upbringing and the way I viewed alcohol and the way my mom um, verbalized my dad's alcoholism that I still have to work on my recovery and I don't expect to ever be perfect but I definitely feel like I can learn a lot from just reading other people's stories about this and sharing with this Echoes of Recovery community. It's interesting because you talked about how relieving and helpful and healing really that it was when you confided in one person who just happened to well actually my her reading my story is what said made her say hey Sherry let's go for coffee and then you kind of confided in each other about something um, and that was just one person now it was a good friend so that had an added bonus but that that's one of the things I'm most excited about about this program for this isn't going to be one person this is going to be a whole community of people that will be confiding in each other and there's safety in numbers I mean people don't want to feel isolated they don't want to feel like they're alone doing anything so knowing that the the horrible, awful experience that you have is a shared experience with others, um, whatever the experience is, is just just wildly beneficial. And if you're in a situation where the alcoholic you love has been a high-functioning alcoholic and kept it fairly well hidden, there's a really good chance that even if that person goes into recovery and tries to stop drinking – you don't. You still don't have anyone to share the, the situation with. Right, because it's a, you know, there's the stigma and the shame involved, and you know, this is our household and private issues, and you know, and you don't want to ruin the reputation of your loved one by going out and sharing your pain, and so then you keep it within Al-Anon type of therapies or seeing a one-on-one counselor or psychologist or you just don't have an outlet. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Al-Anon. I mean, I, I mentioned it before too. We don't in any way want to poo-poo Al-Anon. Uh, there are people, just like AA, there are people for whom Al-Anon is a saving grace and it works really well. But we've just heard from too many people that say, Al-Anon does not work for me. It's not a good fit. I don't enjoy going. I don't feel good there. Um it could be anything from a personality thing to I don't agree with some of the principles. But just like on the the recovery side for the person who's the drinker, just like we, we've said, AA is great, but it can't be the only option because there's too many people that it doesn't serve. The same holds true for Al-Anon. I don't, I don't know that it has the same culture that AA has, the whole it works if you work it. I don't know if there are people out there that say, AA is the, or pardon me, Al-Anon is the end-all be-all, and if you'll just give it a try, you know, you can't go wrong. I don't know if those people exist or not, but I know for a fact that it, that that's not the case, that there are people for whom Al-Anon is not a good fit, and so we just want to be an alternative. We don't want to, you know, badmouth Al-Anon if, if it's working for you, great. And the other thing is... Or it could be something this, you do together. Yeah, this can be supplemental. Yeah. Yeah, cuz this is a different format. Al-Anon yeah. is group meetings and you know, we're a different type of format. So, 
Yeah, I mean, there'll definitely be exposure to other people in the group and sharing of stories. But yeah, you're not going to meet in a place. You're right that it'll be different. And just like on the on the drinker side of recovery, where we've got the shout sobriety program, we have a lot of people that are in that program that also go to AA, and they're just trying to have as many tools in the toolbox as possible. And this is a really great way to add tools to the toolbox. And speaking of tools in the toolbox, I know you know we've we openly. Um, you know, talk about the fact that you and I are still recovering. We're still recovering as individuals and then we're still recovering the relationship. We're making a lot of progress, but we're not there yet. But I'm wondering what what's maybe one or two of your goals? Um, because even though we are facilitating this group and welcoming people to join us, we still want to learn. what What's something you want to take away um, from from your, your time, your experience in Echoes of Recovery? Um, well, I just think that having more people involved that have more information to give, more resources, more materials, like, you know, there's so many articles and books and things that I am not aware of that I think can be shared, resources of information and um, different types of material to to use in my um, recovery process. And I know there are different, you know, theories on a lot of things. So it's just nice to have all of those, um, all of those resources at hand and, and, and hear what, hear hear what's what works, works for other people. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I know when I've read some books or articles, you know, I'm kind of like, I take away what I feel like I can do. Um, I'm not all in. I may be a questioner or skeptic in some regard or a pessimist, but so I kind of like having a lot more resources and options so I can see what has worked for other people and, and, you know, give it a go. Yeah. I, um, I think one of the cool things about working with people in recovery on either side of it, either the drinker or the, the loved one is by the time you know you are admitting that that you need help you've done a ton of research on your own you've read books not book but books mm-hmm. and you've you've found podcasts that you love and you've you've found blogs that you love and so um everybody who gets to this point where um finding a a group of like-minded individuals that are in a similar situation when when they get to that point they've already got a bunch of tools in the toolbox Mm -hmm. and they're readily willing and able to share them so that's that i mean i know that's where any any of my my reading or listening material comes from you know i don't do random internet searches anymore they're exclusively recommendations of other people now Mm mm-hmm which is really, which is really great. Yeah, and most of the time when people are recommending it, it's because it's worked in some fashion or another, and it's good. So you feel like you have already had a, a review, of it instead of, yeah, blindly just reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think another, you know, back to the sorry, not sorry. I know that sometimes these discussions are painful. Um. One of the cool things about this program for you is 
you have a tendency, and I, this is a common tendency, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. I think a lot of people have this tendency to, when there's a difficult thing in your life for as long as you can, you just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and ignoring it and hoping it'll go away. And by us, you know, organizing and facilitating the Echoes of Recovery group, you're kind of forced to, because people are going to talk about things that are issues for you too. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to be able to ignore them. You're going to you're going to have to deal with them. What do you mean? I just can't ignore them the way I ignore, ignore things with you at home sometimes? Yeah. Like you can't just push it down until it explodes later and and is a lot of fun to deal with. You'll have to just deal with things as we go along. But I mean, I, I think that's human nature. I think uh, it's rare. Rare is the person who wants to look at their problems. More common is the person that wants to ignore them and hope, hope they'll go away. But... Because other people are going to be bringing up the same, the same goobers that you're dealing with, um, those goobers are not going to be pushed downable anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I used goober right there. I don't yeah, never I don't used think. that word. <laughs> the same shit. There, I said there, shit. He's cursed. <laughs> because Jeez. you can't just push your shit down when other people are working on their shit. That's the same shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be faced with some of my own insecurities and issues that I'll have to, you know, work on. And, and I know I have my list of things or things that I, I'm not aware of. And, you know, it might, it'll be very enlightening too, that, Hey, I never even thought about that aspect of it that maybe someone else has shared that I really not owned up to own knowing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, to move from the theoretical to the practical, um, I'm thinking of a, a specific example that you and I talked about on a walk just the other day. We talked about how when you still, even though, you know, again, three years into sobriety, when you have to bring a difficult subject to me, um, you know, it could be have to do with the kids, something going on with one of the kids or a financial thing, a financial big bill that's going to come or something we, you know, orthodontics that we weren't expecting or whatever. When you've got to bring something difficult to me, you still, even this far down the road, get that, you know, I don't know, like your throat tightens or how, how I'll let you describe it, but that, that feeling of, oh my God, how is this alcoholic going to react? Because for so many years, you just never knew. Sometimes I'd be okay with it. Sometimes I'd, you know, blow a gasket. Sometimes I would overreact to an unbelievable degree. Mm-hmm. But because my mind was never right, because of the alcoholic neurochemistry hijacking, you just never knew who was going to be on the uh, other side of the conversation. And still to this day, you come at difficult discussions with. I mean, how would you describe the emotions that you feel when you've got to talk about something difficult and you don't know how I'm going to react? Is it like terrifying? Is that the word? Or um, no. Um, usually, I I try to hold off as long as I can until so I, you just you push know, it down. So I push it down a little bit. Like, for example, one of our kids has an allergy and he gets allergy shots, and you aren't on that team doctor allergy shot with me the way I am because I feel like 
it will eventually help him in the long run. You mean I think we're wasting money and it's not getting any better? (laughs) Right. Okay. But I, like, look at it like I've I've been to all the doctor's appointments and the allergists and all that. So I feel like I understand the game plan. Right. And then when he has to have his annual checkup, um, it's kind of pricey. Because he's got to get all the allergy stuff checked out? Yeah. So they have to, like, you know, do some breathing things and all these other sort of things. And to find out that he's in the same position he was <laughs> a year prior. <laughs> he's gotten a little better. Okay, sorry. But I'm always like when I leave that appointment, and I always want to argue some of the the tests that they do. Like Now, he's 13, so it's not like, you know, we're talking about a baby who with severe allergies. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, why do we need all these tests? So I do kind of like kind of question the nurse and the doctor a little bit like, is it necessary to do this? And then, because I just, like, hear the cash register, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. And then you're going to get the bill. And since it's all together, it's like, a, I don't know what you call it, a PPO or whatever. Like, they waste no time sending out the bill. So I'm like, within a couple days, I'm going to have to have this conversation with Matt about, oh, well, you cursed, so I'm going to curse. Oh, shit, he is going to go nuts about the extra stuff that is, but it is to yeah, monitor. Why is this health. child so much more expensive than the other three? <laughs> they all have their expenses. Like, and, you know, that's another one. Like, our youngest son has hearing aids, and he's at the age where he listens if he wants to, but he has to be ready to listen. And the hearing aids do help. But I remember that conversation. You just did not see the benefit in it. But you let me make those decisions because you knew just from our past experience that I had the best interest in mind in the health and the welfare and the mental um, health of our kids. But, oh, I just push it down and I wait. And then when you are like, um, can we just, you know, like last time you're like, let's just go over this bill and make sure that, that the things that they're charging us for are what happened. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just had, like, no breath. I was just waiting for you to be like, I think this is ridiculous and... It didn't come, but I definitely have this theory, like, I don't want to come home and immediately tell you, oh, well, you're going to really enjoy this bill so coming you're, up. So you're terrified of the reaction Yeah. even now, even when that, you know, I mean, I'm not excited about it, but right. I'm not like a jerk about it anymore. Right. And I guess it just, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's because I don't want to be questioned about it because, you know, we've already had this discussion about why we're doing this stuff, but then I'm like, I don't know how he's going to react, and then I don't know how I'm going to react, being it, kind of, because I get really defensive really easy. My back gets against the wall, and I'm ready for, I'm ready to either, like, shut it down and not talk about it, and, or, you know, I'm ready to, like, fight back. be defensive about yeah. my... Well, but those are, those are both, all of that is flashbacks yeah. to the alcoholism. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you had to be ready to, like you said, shut it down or fight back because you never knew what was coming your way. Right. Right. And And then also it didn't help, like, in a situation where I don't... I didn't have my um, dad in the house from the time I was two up until I was, like, a freshman in high school when my mom remarried and married my stepdad. I didn't really see... She didn't have to, like, have conversations, I would say, like, adult conversations with a with a partner about how to spend their money and their finances. So I don't have that as a good example of how not to be defensive in a way. Yeah. Yeah. 
But so through the Echoes of Recovery program, we're going to hear other people that have that same, those same flashback, you know, ter- terrified to talk about difficult topics with the loved ones around them, the loved one that is or was a drinker, and they're, the way they handle it, the, the tools they've used for coping. So, you know, that's something you're going to be able to take away the lessons learned from those people and they'll be able to take away the things that you've learned. Yeah. I mean, cause so far what I've learned already is just because this is a new program and I've only had a little exposure to this side of it is just, you know, it has to be something that you have a repeated positive experience with, then it kind of helps every time yeah. and it lessens that connection back to the old behavior of the alcoholic. Well, and the, and the old behavior of myself, like, and that's a really good point because we and we always say this that sobriety doesn't fix anything. In our case, we've got twenty five percent or twenty five years of when you would bring up a difficult topic. You know, it's a crapshoot. Some days I'd blow up. Some days I didn't care. You never knew what the reaction was going to be. So you had twenty five years of that, and then all of a sudden I'm sober, and you as the spouse are expected to just. To know that I'm always going to be calm. Well, you, that isn't how it works. You need repeated, what did you say, repeated positive behavior or something like that? Yeah, exposure. Yeah. Repeated positive So you exposure. need you need to bring difficult things to me, I don't know, a hundred times and have me be calm all a hundred times. And then maybe you'll start to drop the defense mechanisms around that. And so that, that actually brings me to what I'm hoping to learn and to get better at from um, from this program, from the Echoes of Recovery program. When I hear other people say the same thing that you just said, it's not that I don't trust you or that I don't love you, because I do. But when I hear 10 people say the same thing, oh, it took me you know, a long time to, to start to have natural, calm, you know, relaxed reactions or, or react or a natural, calm, relaxed anticipation of what the reaction would be when I brought up difficult subjects, then I can say, okay, okay. It's not just us. It's not just our situation. And if Sherry acts really um, tentative and nervous and ready to fight or flight when she brings stuff up, I shouldn't be insulted by that. We've got 25 years of drinking history that's got to get fixed and it's got to get fixed over a long period of time. And that's, that's how it works. That's not because Sherry's weird. That's how it works. Anytime I can, you know, get other people's stories to convince me that you're not weird. It's helpful. That's nice. Yeah. Well, we don't want to feel weird. I don't want to feel weird. You don't want to feel weird. Right. Right. And that's the whole point. We don't want to, you know, spend half of our energy wondering if our reaction is normal or not. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, the person that's the loved one in the situation of the drinker, they probably are feeling some pressure to act like it never happened and start all over or everything's normal and right and fixed now and we just need to move forward. So they aren't really getting any validation um, in a lot of ways and a lot of support. So they do kind of feel weird because I know, like... You know, the several times that you quit drinking, and I remember one 
argument in particular that happened, and this was when you were still drinking, and I said something like, we have a lot of problems, and you were like, we do not. Yeah. And then I never that thought was, we did have that a lot was, of problems. And that was one of the times that I think that you decided that you were going to try to quit drinking or temper your drinking because you knew that it was playing an issue with the relationship, but you didn't realize all the damage that had been done and all the stuff I brought into the relationship with my own baggage and how that was affecting our relationship. So you didn't want to like understand that alcohol covered it up for you, but then really there were all these other issues. And I think that from the loved one's perspective, that's just... Like you said, it's been years and years and years of this sort of behavior, and you can't just get rid of it all all at once. Well, it's going to take years of recovery and support, and the alcoholic is not going to be able to be supportive in the first few. I know that they say like one year, but I even think maybe two years, depending on on your source of recovery. Yeah, no question. I mean, years and years of gaslighting, right? Years and years of the alcoholic telling the per- the loved one. You know, oh, that's not really an issue because, and and they're not doing it to be mean. As an alcoholic, to defend us alcoholics, we do that to def- because we're trying not to have anything point to the need to remove the alcohol from our life. So if I tell you you're blowing things out of proportion, it's because I have to believe that. Otherwise, it shines a spotlight on the alcohol, and I say, oh, that's got to go. I really have a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You basically, as the loved one, spend years and years and years being told you're nuts, being told you're crazy, being told you don't know what you're talking about, being told you're blowing things out of proportion. When you're not, you're the only sober person in the relationship, (laughs) so you're the one that's seeing it clearly. And so that, you know, that kind of leads into what I hope to be able to offer in the Echoes of Recovery program. The reason we're doing this together, and this isn't just your project, is because... Since this is what I do now, this is the world I spend all my time in, the recovery world, and I've been presented with so many, all the different sides of the story, if you will, I feel like when we have loved ones that are in the Echoes of Recovery program and they're saying, you know, this is how I feel, but my, my alcoholic spouse says I'm wrong. This is how I feel, but my alcoholic spouse says I'm nuts. You know, this is how I feel, but my child, who is an alcoholic, thinks I'm crazy. We, we, you know, my my role can be, hopefully, to some extent, to say, yeah, and that the that alcoholic really believes that. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not saying that because they're mean or evil or awful. They're 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 defending the position that they're in because that's what they really believe because they have to because the only other alternative is to quit drinking, and even. Even once we alcoholics are in in treatment, in recovery, in sobriety, we still uh, we don't have a clear picture of the truth. We don't have a clear picture of what happened, not for, like you said, for a long period of time. So I hope to be able to offer some empathy and compassion to people who come into this program and say, this is what I think the truth is, but the person I'm living with still is in denial, and I can shake my head and say, yep, they are in denial. Mm-hmm. And they'll probably be in denial for a while. And here's why. And here's, you know, if 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 we can help that person, great. But what we're really here for is to help 
the loved one who's got to deal with the fact that the drinker, sober or still drinking, is in denial. And hopefully we can bring some some soothing and, you know, some peace of mind to the loved ones. So, you know, that's what, one of the things I hope to be able to offer. But then the other thing, I kind of briefly alluded to it earlier, that I hope to get out of. So, so what I'm trying to gain from our, our work and effort with the Echoes of Recovery program is I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better partner. I want to be a better father. I want to hear, you know, I want to hear other people talk about things that you, Sherry, might be feeling, but that you are not yet able to express or things that you've successfully pushed down and, and ignored and they haven't come flying up to the surface in a flaming awful way. Um, things that we've never discussed that are part of our healing process that when I hear them through other people's stories, you know, you and I will both be able to realize, yep, that's something we're dealing with too. Uh, even if we haven't been able to find the words for it yet. And so that'll help me, you know, like I said, be, be, be better. Not only to he- will it help me to heal myself, but it also help me to be more understanding. And cause there's, I mean, in any relationship, whether alcoholism plays a part or not, your the other person in the relationship is going to have behavior that you find baffling because you are different from that person. But that's especially true in an alcoholic relationship. And it goes both ways. The behavior of the person that you're in that relationship with, with sometimes it's just mind-boggling. And when we're when we express what's going on and then we hear the expressions of others it's really really helpful to realize that baffling behavior it's not that baffling it's not that uncommon it's it's to be expected and it's something we've got to figure out how to manage and deal with so i hope to give a lot in the echoes of recovery program i know you do too you hope to give a lot share your story but we both hope to get a lot as well um, we've already, you know, it's actually officially day one, but we've already got a bunch of people that are signed on to be a part of the program and we're starting to have the initial conversations and it's really, it's really, um, I don't know. I feel good. I feel good about it. You feel good about it? I do feel good about it. I do. One of the things that you... You mentioned earlier, and maybe this is a good thing to end on, is um, since we already said shit, we <coughs> we can say asshole too. <coughs> you said, Sherry, that um, when, when, how did you word it? When I was an alcoholic, when I was an active alcoholic, you, you weren't sure if I was, if when I acted like an asshole, if it was the booze or if I was just, just plain really an, asshole. an asshole. Yeah. And so now in sobriety... <coughs> What, you've learned that it's mostly it was a booze, but that I'm still sometimes an asshole? I can't remember what you said. It was kind of funny, though. So, yeah. Do you remember what you said? I, d- I think I just was commenting about how, you know, I always thought that you were an asshole that drank. I actually didn't realize it was the alcohol making you be an asshole. Okay. I just thought you were just not a great person in a lot of ways. Um. And 
then when we took the alcohol away, I was like, well, I wonder if he'll still be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that, I think that my intuition of you from the very beginning was right. And it was truly the alcohol that was making you an asshole. Most of the time. Now, Most I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're perfect. No, I'm and not I'm saying, not that saying there aren't times where I'm not the asshole, and that things come up in just a, a normal marriage. But it was kind of, it was kind of always floating around in the back of my mind. And I, you know, I remember one of the last times you quit drinking. I was almost like, oh my gosh. I already know how to deal with you drinking. Why are we upsetting the apple cart? And I think that some of my fear was, what if he stops drinking and I still really just don't like him? Yeah. That we have either grown too far apart and that there was nothing good there to begin with and I was wrong and he really is just an asshole and we're not compatible. So and that I think was that's kind a of scary. lot of people's fear when when you know when when the alcohol is still there in the relationship. Um, it covers up a lot of things, good or bad. Well, bad. It covers up a lot of bad things. And but like you said, you can get used to that. You can get in a groove and and deal. But once the alcohol's gone, there's nothing to cover that up. And I know for a fact that a lot of people are really worried that the person that they've they've developed this close relationship with is someone that they really don't like. And, and I can only imagine it'd be awful if it was like. Your child. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But your I mean, love un- for them will never go away. There, yeah, yeah, your love for them will never go away. But it's it would be really hard to, like, find out. But I think most of the time it's it's the alcohol or the intoxicant that's making them yeah. be the asshole. Because I think... Compatibility is there to be found most of the time. Yeah. There was something. There was some spark. There was something that... Drew you together. Drew you together. And, you know... On the topic of asshole, I, um, you know, you said I mostly am not an asshole now, but I occasionally still am. I have to admit something to you. (laughs) Sometimes when I'm acting like an asshole, I know I'm acting (laughs) like an asshole, but I'm too big of an asshole to not act that way at that time. I can't even think of the last time I feel like you acted like that. Oh, what a compliment. It's so long ago. You can't remember the woman with the best, best, best photographic all-inclusive lockdown memory of anyone I've ever met. I'm glad you just didn't call me an elephant, though, because they're kind of big. Yeah, no, but again, another thing we can talk about in Echoes of Recovery, the uh, loved ones of alcoholics (coughs) have great memories. That's one of the traits. We don't know exactly why a person becomes an alcoholic. We don't know exactly why a person becomes a loved one of an alcoholic, but the loved ones of alcoholics always have really, really, really good memories. It's because we're sober. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. Good point. Yeah. All right. Well, if if any of this resonates with you and you have any interest, we would love to have you join us um, in the Echoes of Recovery program. Uh, there's more information available at echoesofrecovery.com, echoesofrecovery.org. Um, either of those go to the same place. And, you know, it's the more traditional spelling of echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S, although you can spell it with or without the E. I had to research this. But the more common spelling is with the E, echoesofrecovery.com or .org. And we'll have a link to it on our Intoxicated Podcast webpage. 
So for my wife and program director of the Echoes of Recovery program, my wife Sherry Salis, I am Matt Salis. Thank you for listening, and we hope to talk to you through the Echoes of Recovery program.